I don't want to have a bad hand today. Uh, scour, that's the most politically correct way of saying that I'm redneck that I've ever heard. So thank you for that. Um, or hillbilly, whatever you want to call it. Um, born and raised in Kentucky, and I'm proud of it. So, um, yeah. So I am using this. Make sure I can make it any higher. Let's see. There we go. I, uh, I'll just be honest with you guys. I cut my hand this weekend lifting a dryer. Um, I have a, a special ability to, uh, to injure myself in ways that others don't. Um, the last time, a few months ago, I got injured, I got a black eye from my iPad. So, um, <laughs> I'm not, it's true, really bad black eye too, like really bad. Um, like ice on the face, I mean, all, full 360, like black, swollen. People are like, do you get in a fight? I'm like, and I just would kind of say, yeah, because I just didn't want to have to explain that. <laughs> and it, it, even me verbalizing it now is really hard to explain how it happened. So I'll just spare you the details and say that it was weird and awkward and embarrassing. And you can ask me later if you really want to know how I did it. But uh, so I'm using this to kind of give my hand a break today. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're going through Kingdom Values, talking about a variety of things, starting off with uh, initially, this was going to be titled Truth, um, so I, I just changed it to God's Word. I think those are actually interchangeable, but I just changed it because I think Peter, uh, in what we're going to read today, is more addressing Jesus and God's Word. Um, but on the, on the kind of the note of truth, uh, I really grew in my faith as, uh, as a believer in Jesus in college. I uh, grew up in church, but really began to take ownership of it of my own in college. And during that, we would I was part of a campus ministry back in Kentucky, and we would go on campus and invite people to events and you know share Jesus or pray or whatever it might be that people need for different events. And one of the we we have a variety of things that we would do to kind of initiate conversations with people uh, and kind of begin a dialogue. And one of those that we would always do is we would ask people what they defined truth as and kind of what their understanding of truth was. And uh, I think as I was kind of thinking through some of those conversations, I can remember really three kind of answers that you can kind of pull from. I mean, there's probably more, but one would be kind of a, a religious answer, a faith answer of someone's spiritual background, whatever that might be. They would say, well, I kind of pull truth from that perspective, that worldview. The second one that we heard a lot was more of like an empirical evidence, scientific like, if, it, if there's an answer to an equation, then that's truth, and that can be uh, obtained. And then the third one is kind of like this vague, like, it's all relative, and there's not really any way to know, and it's kind of this or that, and it's kind of individualized to each person, so uh, there's not really one right answer. And so those are kind of the, some of the answers that I, as I was thinking through some of those conversations in college, those were some of the things I can remember. And I think if we were to go out today and just, poll people, even in this neighborhood, if you were to ask 100 people, you might get 100 different answers that are kind of uniquely different. So I think truth can be very uh, subjective and can be to one's own interpretation of what truth is. Um, but I, today I want to look at truth in a biblical sense. I want to look at truth in God's Word, um, not just in God's Word, but about God's Word itself, which is kind of a unique passage to talk about. And I just, if you're if you're if you're thinking about what it means things to be true, if you're still exploring Christianity, if you're not sure who Jesus is, just like kind of ask yourself, and maybe just for the next little bit, 
say, think, what does the Bible, what does Christianity have to say about truth? And hopefully we can answer that question together today uh, as we're looking at Scripture. So uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, and if you're using the Blue Bible, uh, I think it's page 490, 590, 590. So uh, it's easier for you than trying to thumb through that. Page 590, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 16. Uh, but before I read, I just I want to point out two kind of, we're going to look at two things and then kind of uh, build off of that. I think there's two evidences that Peter brings up about Jesus' uniqueness. Uh, and the first half we're going to read uh, talks about Jesus uh, and just their eyewitnesses' accounts of what Jesus did and kind of the miraculous things that the disciples saw and that Peter saw. Peter, who wrote what we're reading, followed Jesus closely and saw miracles and saw him live and do great things. And he's going to actually talk about one of those here in a minute as we read. So the first thing I think that uh, is an evidence of the uniqueness of Jesus and how he embodies truth is eyewitness accounts that Peter uh, writes for us here. So if you want to follow along with me, uh, starting in verse 16 of chapter 1 um, in Second Peter, here we go. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Okay, so this is just what I think is the first portion of what Peter is wanting to do. He's kind of setting his argument up here by kind of drawing from an experience that he had of an eyewitness account of something that happened. And maybe this is your first time reading this passage, or maybe you have no context for what's going on. That's okay. Uh, I'm going to actually read the story that Peter's referring to. Uh, you, can, you can turn there, you can write it down, you, or you can just listen. It's uh, Matthew 17. It's actually recorded in other books of the other Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but uh, I just chose Matthew. So uh, Peter's actually looking back at what is called the Transfiguration, uh, which is a big churchy word. The way I would define it is Peter, James, and John saw Jesus for who he truly is and, and everything that he really encompasses. So if you want to follow along with me or just listen, um, Matthew 17, starting at verse 1. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah, t- talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking to them when a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice in the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the story continues, but that, we're just going to kind of stop there for the sake of time. But he's pulling from that story. Uh, Peter, James, and John, three of the guys that followed Jesus, Jesus leads them up the mountain, and there's this miraculous moment where God in heaven speaks, and they see two Old Testament guys, Elijah and Moses, and uh, there's just Peter's trying to figure out what to do. He wants to build something, and they're like, no, just listen to Jesus. This is my beloved son, and with, with whom I'm well pleased. And I think Peter really summarizes that experience that he actually witnessed in three, three words, here in the first few verses of 2 Peter. So I'm going to go back now to 2 Peter 
Uh, I think the three words that he describes it as is majesty, honor, and glory. You look at uh, 17 and 18, or 16 really, through 18, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty when he received honor and glory from God the Father. And the voice was borne to him by majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I think he summarizes what he experienced in the eyewitnesses' account earlier on as he was following Jesus as majestic, honor, and glory. And maybe when you think of those words, you can picture, uh, for me, it's like um, going and taking a hike and getting up way above uh, where the city's at, just seeing the 360 view of what is you know, around us. And I think there's just something about that that makes you feel very small, it makes you feel very um, like you're just a little ant kind of walking around. You know? So uh, I think that's a similar essence of what P- Peter experienced in this miraculous moment where he saw Jesus and God the Father um, in this transfiguration moment. So I think that's, uh, I think Peter is wanting to lead with that. I mean, he's really doing that to actually prove a point that he starts off the, the, his, his, his conversation with in verse 16. So he tells a story, he reminds him of this story because he wants to uh, kind of really solidify this idea that, that they do not follow cleverly devised myths but they, um, when they made known to him the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they were eyewitnesses. That's what he's wanting to actually validate. He's saying, guys, like he's writing to a church here. This is after Jesus already died, risen again, and is in heaven. So this is years later. He's saying, if you, maybe you never saw Jesus with your eyes. We did. It was legit. It was real. And it's not some fable. It's not some story that we've made up not fabricated stuff that we're just twisting to try and make a movement. We actually saw Jesus with our eyes. We saw him in his glory. And that's, you can trust in what we're doing. You can trust in this movement that we're, that we're starting, that this isn't something that we've made up with, with fabricated stories. It's not cleverly devised myths. This is real flesh and blood, a person that we follow, a person that we saw, and someone that changed our lives. I think he really he kind of sets that up to really continue on talking about God's word, the, the second half of this, this passage that we're reading. And really what he's, what he's pointing to, and I'm going to go ahead and kind of jump to verse 18 for a second. He said, or verse 19, I'm sorry. He says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What he's talking about is what he has seen in the transfiguration and really just the entire time that he saw Jesus in ministry further confirmed the Old Testament and the prophecies that pointed to this person that was coming. And I think to maybe even explain this better, I was trying to think of an analogy, and maybe this won't resonate with you, but hopefully you can at least track along with me here. But um, I'm, I'm really tired of any sort of, I used to love it as a kid and a teenager, like ESPN, like sports shows. I'm really tired of it because all that it really is are guys and girls that are getting paid way more than we are to make educated guesses about things that might happen with certain players and teams and things like that. And there's guys that their only job is to predict who might win the next championship. And that's really all they do. And you you take their word for it because they're considered a quote-unquote expert. I mean, you could ask me, and I could have made that guess. And I'd get paid anything for it. And there's even like, again, I love college basketball. They've even tried to make a science out of 
figuring out who's going to win the championship for college basketball. And every year, it never, ever comes true. You never know. Um, and there's been even guys like, I think Warren Buffett has offered billions of dollars if you can have a perfect, perfect bracket, and it's never happened because it's unpredictable. And people are getting paid tons of money to make educated guesses. Um, but that's not, thankfully, that's not how the Old Testament works. These, these prophets weren't making educated guesses of what was going to come to be one day. They're like, oh, there might be a guy that comes that saves us. There might be this person that like embodies truth. Maybe like we're, we're, we're kind of just writing it down and throwing it out there and see what happens. Um, no, no, no. Like They were like confidently saying, this is going to happen one day. There is going to be someone who is going to redeem us. There's someone who's going to bring us out of this perpetual darkness. There's someone who's going to come who's going to bring us life and hope and redeem us. And Peter's saying, I read that growing up, and I saw the embodiment of that, and it validated what I read when I grew up. And that Old Testament prophecy, when, when you think about prophecy, that you might get a little squirmish, maybe a little, ah, what's that word mean? The old, he's talking about the Old Testament. And just the consistent prophetic word throughout the Old Testament, looking forward to something coming one day, specifically someone coming one day, to redeem Israel, to redeem their, God's people, to bring hope and life that no king, Moses, Abraham, some of these big characters cannot do. Someone who was going to make all things right. So he's saying, I remember reading that growing up. I saw it and actually confirms and validates what I saw. So the second thing I think that makes, that makes Jesus unique and is evidence of that is God's word. Starting in verse 19, let me just read kind of Peter, what Peter is talking about with God's word. And I'm actually going to just make a quick disclaimer here, uh, just to maybe help. I'm not going to keep explaining this, but I'll do it once right now. Uh, Peter here, when he's when he's writing this, is referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were living it out while they were, you know. So there's not like he's not referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in this moment because it hasn't been written out yet. But I, from now on, when I refer to God's Word, I'm including the New Testament and the Old Testament together. So just if you're if you're confused by that. When I talk about God's word from now on for the rest of my time, I'm referring to both what Peter's referring to and what God used to write, the people that he used to write Matthew through Revelation as well. So anyway, so we're talking about God's word here. So this is what Peter said in verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing that, first of all, that there is no prophecy of Scripture that comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was made was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. So, first part, Peter is kind of pulling back from an experience saying, hey, this validates what I'm trying to tell you, that I've seen Jesus in his glory. But he also says God's word has a unique characteristic that is different than anything else. Uh, and I, I just I wrote down three things that I see in, these, in this section of what God's word, how it's unique, and how it's different than the world around us. First one I put is always trustworthy. Um, at first I just had um, trustworthy, but I realized that I think even in our conversations, we can have people that we trust, people that we can turn to, but there's something unique about it always being trustworthy at all times, never failing. That's something we don't experience. We can't, we can't produce that in and of ourselves. So I'm going to be using the word always a lot the next 
few slides here, and, but that's because I think that's the uniqueness of God's words, that it's always unchanging. This is true. So it's trustworthy. Verse 19, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention. Like I was saying earlier, Peter is kind of nailing down this point and saying, hey, these Old Testament prophecies that you guys are reading right now in church, because, I mean, this is, the church would have been reading the Old Testament as the, you know, throughout the book of Acts and through the early church would have been the Old Testament. So if nothing else, that gives us validity to keep reading the Old Testament today because that's how the church started was through the Old Testament. Uh, it's not some antiquated historical you know, stories. It's actually what catalyzed and brought revival across Europe and, and Asia. So he's saying, hey, like, we've had the prophetic word more fully confirmed in Jesus. He came and embodied what we had read, and now we can move forward knowing that what was predicted in the Old Testament has been fulfilled, and we have confidence moving forward to continue to share that with others, knowing that it's trustworthy, knowing, know, knowing that it's true. And I think that's unique to us, right? Because I didn't put this on the slide, but I also put in my notes that I'm, I'm going to contrast this with human words. Our words are not always trustworthy, right? Um, I was thinking through just, if, if you could have all the greatest thinkers in the world today, or even just in history, uh, come and write a book about how to be a good person or how to be a good citizen to a country or whatever, uh, there might be some really notable like, things you can pull from there and very insightful things. But ultimately, that's just us talking. It's not, you can't put your trust in that. You can't put your life into that and say, I'm going to hold closely to this. And there's entire, if you look at you know, bookstores or Amazon or whatever, there's entire sections of books talking about how to improve in this area or another, how to make a, a five-step thing to make this better in your life. How to, if you do this, this will happen. And you're, it's like all these things we're trying to like figure out uh, how to make things better. And really, our words fail. We're not always trustworthy. Maybe you've been hurt by people, right? Maybe you've, maybe you've been really hurt by words of others and in a very non-trusting way, and you, you have broken trust right now that you're still healing through. That's just evidence that our words fail. Our words hurt. Our words try to make things better, but a lot of times we're still in this cycle of not figuring out how to get things better. But thankfully, God's word is trustworthy. God's word is true. God's word you can turn to time and time and time again, and you won't be led astray. It may be, it may be countercultural. It may be hard to swallow, but um, it's always trustworthy. And a pastor that I was reading kind of, he commentated on this and said, hey, like, I'm just thankful that God's word is, is soberingly true and says things that I don't like to hear. Because I'm, he was saying, in, in my culture, all I hear is what I want to hear. I cut out what I don't want to hear, and I listen to what I want to hear. But that's certain media outlets, certain speakers, certain people, and you craft what you hear to, to cater to what you like to hear. God's word does not do that. Maybe you've heard of the story of Thomas Jefferson had a Bible, and he had cut out portions of Scripture, literally, that he didn't like, and that he made that his Bible. Well, that's not God's word anymore. That's just Thomas Jefferson's word, right? So I think we can do that. Like, I don't like that passage of Scripture. I'm just going to cut it out and not ever read it again. I mean, maybe we don't literally cut out pieces in the Bible, but we can do that in our minds. We can just say, I don't want to, I don't want to turn to that, because it's not, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. It's counterculture. It's hard. But it's frustrating. The second thing I put, 
It's always supernatural. 2021. Knowing that this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I think that there's something unique about God's Word that's even, it is trustworthy, it's always trustworthy, but our words are not supernatural. They're just natural words, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read off something. I, I encourage you to write these words down if you don't know what they mean. They might feel like they're kind of over your head a little bit, but I think it's really important that you know what I believe and what this church believes, and I would challenge you to wrestle with these terms and see where you stand with God's Word. So I have five words that I want to define God's supernatural word. First is that it's infallible. Okay? And here's, here's a simple definition. It's completely trustworthy, incapable of erring or fall, failing to accomplish its intended purpose. Second, it's inspired. It, that means it's the characteristic of being filled and led by the Holy Spirit of God. Peter wasn't just writing. These aren't Peter's words. These are God speaking through Peter. Whether he knew that in the moment or not, God was using his hand as he wrote this letter. Same with Moses writing the first five books of the Old Testament. Same with John penning Revelation. And throughout the entire part of Scripture, God has been using human instruments, but his spirit is the one communicating the truth. Third word, inerrant. Very similar to infallible, but I wanted to incorporate it It's completely trustworthy and contains no errors. It's sufficient. It has the quality of being enough. In a world where we're looking for answers for things, I believe God's word, we can turn to at all times to find answers. And yeah, maybe you don't have a specific verse about this social question that we have today, but it gets to the heart of things, which is even more important. We can always turn to scripture. It's sufficient in answering our deepest questions and meeting our needs at the core of who we are. And the fifth word is reliable. It's able to be trusted. You know, think about how, in our words, people aren't reliable. People aren't, we, we make mistakes. People are, we do hurt people. People are broken people. I'm broken. Thankfully, that's not the criteria that we look at when we see God's word. That should give you a sense of elevation, if you will. God's word is elevated above our words. It's you know this. I'm not saying this to make you feel anxious, but it almost has a sense of authority, right? Uh, one of the most interesting parts of Jesus' teaching is that people would verbalize. He's speaking like one with authority. You hear you hear that throughout the Gospels. That there's something different about how he's talking. He's talking as if this is who he is. Not, he's not talking about something. He's talking as if it's him. And it made people really begin to question who he was. So I think of it, God's word is above our words. Maybe you don't believe that right now, but that's what, the, that's what Peter is getting at in these two verses. Is that these aren't written, written by human wisdom. It's written by the Holy Spirit of God, who is above us, who is holy and perfect and blameless. And we can trust it. We can turn to it day in, day, day, in, day out. But ultimately, it's supernatural, because of that, it can change our lives. Third thing I wrote is, God's word is always relatable. Verse 21, right? For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Um, 
you know, naturally I, I cut my hand yesterday pretty bad or two days ago. So what do I do? I, I go buy a bike and try to repair it yesterday with one hand. Like that's just what I do. So I went to Goodwill, bought a bike, old bike yesterday. Um, talked to Graham earlier about some stuff about it and just wanted to try and figure out how to do it. So I was studying and doing some homework and preparing for this. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to just tinker with this thing. I'm going to take some of the parts apart and clean them. And two hours later, <laughs> I'm sitting on the floor of my living room with YouTube on, trying to figure out how to put back what I took apart. And literally video after video, the guy's like, it's in the, you know, the title's like, easy way to repair this bike. And you click on it, and it's like, first thing to say, you've got to have this tool. I'm like, I don't have that tool. <laughs> I'm not, I don't work at a bike shop. And they're, like, and they're like, oh, you don't have that. And then like, I, went, I, I searched another video that said, without the right tools. <laughs> they pull out another tool I've never even heard of before. They're like, oh, you should have this one at least. I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I, and it's like this guy, all the videos are like guys in the bike shop with like behind them are hundreds of tools and they're like showing you how to do it and they do it in 30 seconds. And I'm like, okay, I've got myself into something that I can't get out of. And I say that because you had to have this sense of expertise even to do what I was trying to do, which is a simple like repair of a chain and taking off the gears. Like, there was some sense like even me being like okay with my hands and like kind of knowing what to do with the bike wasn't enough. I'd had these certain tools. I had to actually probably have some experience. Like even talking to Graham, he made it sound way easier than how I felt going into it last night. Like he said, "Oh yeah, it's super easy. Just do this, this, and this." I'm like, "Well, I don't know what that means." Still, um, I'm so confused. But I, I, t I say that because that's not how we should approach God's Word. We don't have to have special tools or special people or special skills to be able to approach His Word. Like it says, right, it, it was produced by men, but it was spoken with through God. That's, that's the interesting caveat, right? It wasn't that God like wrote the Bible and just threw it from the heaven and it fell and like hit somebody on the head and now oh, here's the Bible. Okay, it's like people writing real stories to real churches to real people, um, writing just what they experience, and God using that to make it His Word, making that relatable, so that even kids can understand it. I was talking to Ben, little Ben, uh, in the nursery earlier, and he was just talking about the Book of Daniel and how he was having questions about that as a five or six year old because the Bible can be understood by kids or by the most elaborate, trained theologian who has spent his entire life studying one passage, right? There's value in that, but it can be understood equally by both and every, everybody in between. It can be understood by the person who's, this is their first day walking into church, or first time ever even touching the Bible and, and even seeing Scripture, they can understand it. Uh, we were going through John 4 in our uh, Bible study this week, and the Samaritan woman probably had no encounter with Jesus or Jewish, like, God's word, really, until that moment. And she leaves changed. And she goes and tells others what she just experienced, to come and see Jesus. And she's probably not uh, the most notable person in society. Uh, she's probably, uh, she's had a lot of different husbands and partners. And it's pretty messy, um, but she is really the person that Jesus uses to go and really reach the Samaritan people in this story. Yeah, and I share that because I think that that's an evidence that God uses regular people, broken people, messed up people to accomplish what he wants to do 
Because his word is for everyday people. His word's for anyone. It's not elevated knowledge. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have years of experience. You don't have to have certain um, things that have to be lined up right to understand the Bible. It can be understood even by people that can't read or don't have any formal education. So that should be encouraging to you that you can approach it just simply as a person in need of answers and know that you can find truth in God's Word. So you know, here's my kind of application, I guess. You're like, what, why does it matter? What's, what's, what, what are we talking about here? Why, why do we choose this passage? I think verse 19 really summarizes um, the importance of what Peter's getting across. Uh, so I'm going to read verse 19 again. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So the first thing I think is an application point is, God's word is always more powerful than ours. Um, I just, me and Skylar had coffee earlier this week, and we were just talking about the idea of taking our people around us' words or our, our own inward words and elevating them, thinking that that's God's word. And I think that can be dangerous because we can so easily waver when, when one person says one thing and somebody else says something else, or we think something differently. Um, that you're like, what do I do? What do I do? What, what, what should I listen to? And my, my advice, my counsel would be to turn to God's word and see if those people's words line up with what God's word says. Not the other way around. I think God's word is above our words. We should turn to him. Turn to his truth. Turn to his, his counsel, his guidance first. And let that be the filter by which we listen to others and even listen to our own thoughts. And even our own, what we think about ourselves should be filtered first through what God's Word says about who we are. Which can be very hard, right? We do the opposite sometimes. You, you, you make a mistake, you have a bad day, you have a bad week, you're like, oh, I'm, God doesn't love me anymore. Well, that goes against what Scripture says. But you think, well, I thought it, it must be true. Or I feel it, it must be true. Well, no, God's Word says that you're a child of God and you've been adopted and the sheep know the shepherd and the shepherd keeps the sheep close, right? Verses like that. That Jesus is the good shepherd of your soul. That should be the filter by which you look at. Even if you're, everything else in your life and all the words around you and what you're hearing is counter to that, that's what you should really believe to be true and really internalize and meditate and take as authority and truth that speaks over you rather than what you might hear in your circles in everyday life. God's word is more powerful than ours. Thank goodness. Secondly, God's word is always the light in our darkness. Look at verse 19, kind of halfway down. It says, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Um, the word dark here, um, you might think, like when I think of dark, I just think of like a dark room or like standing out somewhere in like a dark place where the, like, this, like, this, like it's nighttime. But really like this is the only time it's used in the Bible, this term dark. And it's more so darkness without any coming of light. Like, if you think about standing out in a dark, like, plane somewhere, it's somewhere the sun's going to rise again in a few, in eight hours or nine hours or whatever. Think of this more so being darkness as if you're trapped in a cave where it's murky and dirty, and you don't, you have, you're feeling around, you have no idea where you're going, and there's actually no hope to ever get out. And there's no light at the end of the tunnel, per se. 
That's the darkness that Peter is using that term for. And I think that can really explain the human condition. Is that we, without God's word within us, guiding us, and, and us following it, we are groping around in the dark of a cave where no light can be found. And we're not going to make the right decisions. We're not going to walk just naturally go the right direction. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. We're going to hurt people. We're going to be hurt by others. Because we're living in this state of darkness. We don't know what's best. And he's saying, use God's word as a lamp to shine in the darkness. Think about if you're in that, if you're in that dark cave and you have a lantern, you can begin to make sense of where to go. You can begin to see where you shouldn't go anymore. I shouldn't go down. That, that's going to hurt me. I'm going to, I could die going that way. Well, here's, this looks like a better path to go down. It's a sense of direction and guidance, but also a sense of security that keeps you from making, making blind mistakes that you don't know any better or don't understand where to go. I think it's deeper than that, too. I think there's a sense of darkness on that sense, but also just an idea of spiritual darkness. Um, Jesus in John chapter 1 talks about, or even John the Baptist calls Jesus the light of the world. Jesus is the light, and the darkness has not overcome it. John chapter 1. There's a sense that Jesus is that light, too. There's this, this sense of, like, we need that light, which is life, within us. And darkness can kind of be compared to death. Light, life, darkness, death. And I think Peter's drawing that imagery of, yeah, you're, you're lost, literally, in a cave, but also you're you can be inwardly apart from God, and you need that light of the gospel within you to see change. I think God's word is always the light in our darkness. And maybe you're a believer, and you're just like, I'm just kind of in a, I feel like I'm in darkness right now. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of stuck in the middle of a, a no a lose-lose situation. I feel like I don't know where I'm going. Um, I just encourage you to read through like Psalm 119. And to see how powerful God's word is and what David says about it, and that he would he uses a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. And let that be a kind of a again a, a compass that points you in the right direction, even when you might not know where you're going. You might not know what the next step is. You might not you might feel like there's just this darkness within you right now. Know that God's word is light and it's going to guide you in the places that you need to go, even when it's hard, painful. Challenging. Don't be discouraged if you're in darkness right now. Know that you're not alone in that. And know that God's word is that light and that beacon that leads us, ultimately, as Peter is getting at, to eternity. Next thing, last, last one I have. God's word is always the source of hope in life until Jesus returns. That's that last part of verse 19. The day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. He's using kind of poetic language here. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a few uh, prophecies of a morning star, a, a, a sun coming from the line of David who's going to defeat the enemy, basically. You can, you can look that up on your, on your own. But this idea of something coming that's bright. Think about even Jesus being how the stars lined up 
to bring people to Jesus, the, the shepherds and the wise men. That, that idea, just think about that. That's what Peter's alluding to. That Jesus is this morning star. Jesus is this prophecy that's been fulfilled who brings life and light into our hearts. And ultimately, that is fulfilled in what he accomplished. And this is kind of my, my, my closing thought is um, I, don't, I don't know where you guys are at. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life right now. Um, but for, the, for someone who might say, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, I don't really know where I'm at right now, uh, Jesus is so unique. Uh, he's, he's so unique in that he's the only person that's ever done what I'm about to say. Jesus, if we just read about God's word, right? God's word was perfect. It's without error. It has authority. It has power. It brings light. Jesus, John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm going I'm to turn there and read it. It's, it's too good not to read. Um, John 1, 14 says this. And the word, what we just talked about, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of what we just read about. Jesus is the embodiment of God's word. Jesus is the embodiment of God's truth. And he lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He didn't make mistakes like we do. He was unique in that. But the odd thing is that Jesus was treated like a sinner. He was despised by men. He was rejected by men. He was, had an unfair trial. He was punished on the cross as a criminal. He was forsaken by God on the cross. He embodied our brokenness and our sin. He died on the cross. But he rose again. He's alive today. He provides victory. He defeated the darkness that the human condition is. And like Peter saying, that morning star, it rises. He rose. He's coming back one day. He's going to return. Peter's looking forward to that. Looking to that. But there's that offer that's always freely given at any moment for anyone to receive that. And simply to believe and to say, with kind of an open posture, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you. I'm, I'm in darkness. I, I don't know where to go. I'm at wit's end. I don't know where to turn. Know that Jesus embodied that. He took the darkness that is our condition and he has provided hope and life. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. He freely offers hope and salvation to anyone who would believe. That's the offer that he always offers anytime, always. That's the offer that's here today. So I encourage you, if that's where you're at, to to receive that free gift, to receive that free offer, and to realize that Jesus is that light that will bring life to you. Nothing else will. Nothing else will. He is the only source of light. And then lastly, maybe, maybe you'd say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, I, I follow Jesus and I want to follow him the rest of my life. But you're in this weird state right now of maybe you're just not reading God's word. Maybe you've kind of devalued God's word. Maybe it's just a word. It's not really anything special to you anymore. Um, I, I, I'm kind of speaking from experience right now. I, I feel like for me, uh, so often I can 
um, turn to God's word when I'm in a really bad spot. Or I turn to God's word when I need an answer. Or I turn to God's word when I'm literally have nothing else, no other place to go to. I've gone to everything else. And then I'll finally go to God's word. Finally, again, like I'll go again. Um, go to all these empty wells and finally go back to the real source of life. Um, but when I start, when I start feeling better, or I see things begin to change, I see momentum in my life spiritually, uh, oddly, I begin to grow more self-reliant. I begin to think, oh, I'm, I'm something, I'm somebody, I can do it on my own, I've, I've figured it out, I've, I've, I've unlocked this next step and whatever it is, and I feel like I'm kind of moving in the right direction, really more so I'm, go, I'm kind of coming back to a sense of deficiency and fam, like being famished and being dry and being in a dark place. Because I think all of a sudden, like, oh, I'm good. I can be self-reliant again. And I think I've, which is odd, but I, grow, I can easily grow out of fellowship with God rather than growing into it more. And I, I just ask, you know, do we spend more time in Scripture on our best day as we do on our worst day? Or do we, we do we, um, today's been good, or at least it's not bad, so I'm just going to read the Bible less today. I'm going to pray less today. I'm going to fellowship less today. I'm going to worship less today. I'm, I'm good. I feel better. And this is my challenge. Like maybe that's where you're at right now. And I just encourage you. I've been. I'm there. I'm. I'm working through that right now. Like, turn to that light of Scripture. The power that it is. No matter where you're at, a good day or bad day or somewhere in between. And don't take a day off. And let that fellowship and that communion and that time with God continue to help you grow and be more like Jesus as His disciple. And do that in community. Do that with others. This isn't a solo thing. It needs to be done around others. Talk to others. Pray for others. Share with others. Love others. Cry with others. Laugh with others. Whatever it is, do that in community. But don't do it and neglect coming to God's Word, letting it continue to change and help you grow because it is powerful and it changes lives. And I think that's what Peter wanted his readers to understand. I think that's what I hope that God's conveyed to you as well today. God's word is true. It's powerful. There's a lot of other ideas of what truth are. I believe God's word is this, the source of truth. Jesus perfectly embodied that. He's changing lives every day. And I hope that you will continue to let him change your life today. Let's pray. Well, I thank you so much for your word. Just pray that you would speak uh, to us as we respond. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work in the hearts of us. Uh, and I thank you for your truth and your word. Pray this all in your name. Amen.